So Real Water Sports has a new video series that they are producing called Under the Glass, where team rider Brett Barley pulls one board off of the rack at Real Water Sports, rides it, reviews it. Here's just a little sneak peek. This board, I hopped on it and from the very first time I stood up, it was like, I didn't even have to think about it. It just did what I wanted it to do. And it was a pretty wild feeling going from like, like I said, being so dialed in to like, okay, I'm gonna pluck this one off the rack. I have no idea. No idea. And it was that amazing. I was like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. For those of you that don't know, I mean, this is a Lost Driver 2.0. I mean, this is the, the workhorse of the Lost High Performance like shortboard series. It's in Lost Lightspeed construction, and that is a stringerless EPS blank with epoxy resin and Lost's own fiberglass schedule on here. Uh, what Matt and the Lost guys are looking to do on this board is to make a light board that will also last. So they want it to be light, you know, very much along the same weights as like a, a competition PU poly, like single glass. They also want the pop, like the spring, and the pop out of the turns of a stringerless board. They came up with light speed, and this is the board that you know Brett, like Brett, like basically went around the entire shop. He said, "This is the one I, you know, this is the yeah. one I want to have." And uh, the surprising thing was is that now Brett Barley's a pro surfer. Trip Foreman's obviously a surfboard expert, but the entire series is done with you and I in mind. The customer who walks into the store and just wants to understand what to expect in terms of construction and performance from a surfboard before investing in it. So this series is really well done. Great concept, by the way, but really well executed. You can find Under the Glass on YouTube, on Surfline, or just go to realwatersports.com, where you can also check out their 1500 board inventory, which they'll ship to you anywhere in the world for one low flat fee. So enjoy this, and a huge thanks to our partners, realwatersports.com. Waterwaystravel.com. Waterways is a boutique surf travel agency with decades of experience traveling and developing relationships, which by the way, it's the key to any business, but it's especially key here is developing relationships with hotel owners, surf guides, photographers, all of this fosters trust, and it amounts to an unrivaled experience to provide surfers and their families highly personalized surf travel and advice that you can trust. Waterways is known for pioneering some of the surf destinations that you and I have uh, fawned over and fantasized about for years, but they're equally as well known by their clients for finding off the beaten track destinations. And Sean Murphy and a couple of his key employees they actually take the time to go find some of the new and best properties on the planet. They optimize how to get there and back so that it simplifies and streamlines your travel experience. Where in the world, you might ask, do they go? They go everywhere from Namotu to the Barren Islands to Samoa to Panama to El Salvador to Roti to South Africa and dozens of more options. So travel intelligently with expertly crafted surf travel. These are great partners of the show, hugely important figures in the world of surf, and so we're just thrilled to be partnered with them. So waterwaystravel.com, enjoy. Parker Coffin is a professional free surfer from Santa Barbara, California. He's part of the winning team of this year's Dahui Backdoor Shootout. 
a participant in Stab High Costa Rica earlier this year, and newly minted part owner of Channel Islands Surfboards, where he has a new, much lauded surfboard model, simply and aptly named the CI Pro. And he's somebody who's been on my radar since the earliest days of his career in his youth, but just in the last two years, he has really sparked my interest because of his seeming reinvestment in his own career and his own surfing. So we have mutual friends and we've messaged a few times. And um, on various podcasts, we kind of speculate about how non-competitive professional surfers earn a living today, how they stay relevant in today's fractured surf media landscape. So I figured that Parker might actually be the perfect guy to ask some of these questions to and to hear what his plan is to maintain a surf career while still enjoying his time in the water because it really seems like he's navigated this really well over the last couple of years. So without further ado, my name is David Scales for Surf Splendor and here is my first ever conversation with Parker Coffin. Enjoy. How's this last run of swell been for you guys up there? Yeah, it's been pretty fun. Um, I got to surf a couple days. Honestly, like the last few months haven't been surfing that much. I've just kind of had this house renovation project going on. So I've just been jumping in the water whenever I have some free time. But um, yeah, it worked out to where I had two kind of days to just take off and surf. And it was hot on the beach, it was offshore, and there was some fun combo swell around. So surf my brains out and i'm pretty tired today that was yesterday i surfed a ton so kind of just broken today but feels good the good kind of broken good 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 for you so are you still in santa barbara then or where exactly yeah yeah i'm in santa barbara right now and um yeah just kind of finishing this little project um that i've been working on for the last year and actually moving in right now so i'm stoked and happy to be setting my roots even deeper in santa barbara and be here for a long time how old are you? Uh, 27. Awesome. Congrats. Thank you. Getting up there. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a big move though. Um, I was thinking about, I guess we could start here because I've been tracking your career. I don't know, since young wise tales days, for sure. I was following that, uh, vlog and I was thinking about how you, at that time, you and Connor, I felt like you were synonymous Mm-hmm. In, a, in a way that was similar and probably a disservice to the Hobgoods back in the day where it was just like, ah, they're interchangeable. It's just the Hobgood brothers, you know? Yeah. Um, you guys were synonymous at that time when you were both young and then clearly your careers went in totally divergent paths. Um, did you ever consider competitive pro surfing as a career option? And if so, why did you deviate from that? Yeah, I mean, I guess to where you started my brother and I just when we were when we were really young you know like I'm talking when we first really kind of started to get into the amateur surfing and everything um we were totally like one and the same you know we were like the coffin brothers and not that that was ever a bad thing but I think as I got a little bit older I found interest in kind of being able to like branch off and be my own person and um we both rode for Hurley at the time when we were really young 
And I remember I would go around the the factory and everybody would call me Connor's little brother. And I was just like, I don't want to hear that anymore. You know, like, where can I go? That's different than this. And I went and I rode for Volcom then for like 10 years. And it was a pretty drastic change from going from the Hurley family. And that was kind of really what like set me on my own trajectory of like doing my own style surf career. And, you know, obviously we were still together a ton, but that was like a really big move for me just to create my own identity a little bit more. And then, yeah, like going further down the road, I mean, I did the WQS events, I did the junior series, like I pretty much was a competitive surfer, you know, with, and with the goal and the intent of getting onto that tour. And that was like, I was super single-minded on that, just going for it, loved it, all about it. And then um, my brother qualified when he was about 21 or 22. So I would have been about 1920. And, uh, so my travel companion was on tour and then, you know, I was kind of, uh, on the WQS kind of just trying, trying to just figure it out, you know, I guess, to be honest. Um, and, and not just competitive surfing. Like I was just in a stage of where I was really like kind of trying to figure out life, you know, I was like 19, 20 traveling the world, like ton of freedom. Um, the industry was doing super well at the time. And I think I just, I, to be honest, probably got caught up in it a little bit too much. And, um, when I was competing and I think I was doing like 16 events a year and then I was riding for Volcom and they had like a pretty, you know, like heavy travel schedule as far as doing stuff for the brand, um, film trips, magazine trips, whatever it was. So I was ended up being gone like 10 or 11 months out of the year. It felt like and I sustained that pace for probably like four or five years. And then I really just kind of got burned on it. And I just like the, the travel got to me. The um, the first round loss after first round loss got to me. And then I kind of went through this phase where I lost all my sponsors too. And so that kind of just put me into like a, a rebuilding headspace where I kind of had to just sit there and rethink about how I wanted to do things and what um what I guess my strengths were and how I could capitalize on them and then that was kind of when the free surf thing started to come into my mind like maybe this isn't what I should be doing with my time and effort you know maybe there's a way that I could kind of like pivot from this trajectory still try to be a pro surfer but find my own little niche and right then it was kind of like the stars aligned and Logan Dooling gave me a part in the snap movie and then I started writing for Rourke and then I got a cover and so it was kind of like this universal momentum once I decided to shift away from the events where I could just feel it like I could feel momentum and I could feel all this kind of good just I don't know just good things coming into my life I guess and then since then I've just kind of tried to build off of it and that's why I am where I am. It's not that I don't enjoy competitive surfing. It just, for me at that point in time, wasn't fulfilling like that feel good part of surfing and I've pivoted and now I'm, I'm having success in it and I really enjoy it. I think I probably get to surf more than I was when I was competing. And, um, also I guess just selfishly have more time to try to get better. And that's really like probably my favorite part about being a free surfer now. Mm. What year did you lose all those sponsors? Um, let's see. I think it was actually on my 21st birthday was when oh I got the gosh. call. Yeah. It was a did shocker. they know that it was your birthday? No, I don't think so. So I <laughs> That'd got be the brutal call. if they did. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. 
so yeah that was like the first the major one was on my 21st birthday and then like that was in September my birthday's on September 26th and then throughout the end of the year into January it was just like another one dropped off another one dropped off and then before I realized it I was like holy shit I don't have any sponsors really but the ones that stuck by my side you know were great and like were really there for me to just tell me like hey man like we're here it's all good like find your feet do this again and so shout out to all the people that were there to kind of help me through that patch but um yeah like 2015-ish maybe yeah it would have been trying to think a little bit later maybe would have been yeah like around trying to think yeah 2016 2017 kind of okay um is there anything that you would have done different in that differently in that first trajectory of your career um would you have not chased the qs as much or is there any because you mentioned at one point like um it almost seemed like there was a lack of awareness maybe that there was an alternative to the competitive thing or did you actually have a desire to actually win a world champ uh, championship at some point um i think I don't know if I, I wouldn't go back and change anything. I don't think Okay. the deal that I, I guess potentially the only thing that I would have liked to change is that I would have probably taken a little bit more of a break to just go travel and do my thing and get better because I was pretty good, but I wasn't amazing. And I was also pretty good at competing, but I wasn't amazing kind of thing, you know, like I'd had success and stuff, but I just felt like, at that time, when I was on the QS, there was guys like Kolohe, there was guys like Philippe, there was these really young guys, Gabriel, the John Johns, you know, that were getting on tour when they're like under 20. And all of a sudden, you know, for me being the generation after that, it kind of set the standard of like, oh, yeah, like you're just going to waltz onto the tour when you're 18 or 19. And, you know, maybe those guys could because they were so talented. They just you couldn't deny their talent. And then you know, their, their competitive savviness just like bloomed as they were trying to get on there. And I felt like for me, I just, maybe I'm like a little bit of a slower learner. And like I even said, just needed some time to kind of like grow up as an individual before, like just going straight into that, you know? So I guess that's my one thing that if I were to think back and just be able to perfectly set it all up, I would have had a couple years there to just kind of like go off film get way better at surfing, take a little break from like the competitive, you know, just chasing that next result and like that higher ranking and just kind of like reassess and then, you know, go back into it when I was really confident feeling. Um, That's good advice. Um, The, uh, you keep mentioning working on your surfing or getting better at surfing. How does one get better at surfing? Man, (laughs) question. (laughs) Uh, what do you do? What do you do? I think there's so many ways you could get better at surfing. And I think kind of just comes down to your mindset. You know, like if you're really genuinely excited about trying to get better at surfing, you kind of like view the world through this lens of like, how can you tie it back into surfing? And that's where I find myself now where it's like, I mean, you can do, there's, there's a million things that honestly, like surfing is the best way. If you can have a lot of time in the water, then I feel like that's probably your best way. And then, you know, you need the footage to be able to kind of see what then you think you're doing right and what you think you're doing wrong. And then once you kind of pick up on those bad habits and stuff like that, then it comes into like the changing 
mindset, you know, like, okay, how do I change these things? And a lot of those things, it's so deeply rooted. It's like habitual for us to move certain ways. So, I mean, Gurr's wave key is a major asset for me personally. Like I've done it since I first met him when I was like 13. And um, also just kind of trying to get your body to like be in balance. So like I I work out and I think it helps me surf better because I'm just balancing out different parts of my body. So it moves more efficiently. And then, you know, watching surf movies, like as silly as that sounds, like I think just being a student of surfing and watching as much good surfing that you can possibly get your hands on will always help you. And then also it'll kind of stimulate like that thought train of like, oh, what do I want to surf like? You know, you have to kind of visualize in in your mind like, oh, how do I, like what is your own personal interpretation of good surfing and how can you kind of like bring that to light you know, and then you just practice, you pick little things and start practicing them in the water, on land, thinking about them, whatever it is, you know. Uh, Who's surfing inspires you or who's surfing do you draw kind of inspiration from? Um, honestly, I feel like I kind of will get really into one thing about one surfer and I'll kind of like focus on that for a while. And then so I, I guess I have a lot of favorite surfers, but kind of consistently like my three or four whatever top five has kind of been Tom Curran uh Bobby Martinez Dane Reynolds Bruce Irons has pretty much always been a favorite of mine and then that fifth spot's kind of like wild card you know but like kind of got to throw in Aki I guess so that's probably my top five right there Mm -hmm. um but then you know now there's so many good guys that I love to watch like I love watching Ethan Ewing I love watching Griffin I love watching Philippe. Um, I watch my brother to try to learn how to carve like him better, you know? So the level is really high. I have a lot of favorite surfers. Um, I was just watching the CI pro movie that just came out for the new board model. And uh, I was thinking it's one of the first times in a long time, actually maybe snapped Four would be the other recent example where it's like an old school surf movie where it's a mashup of locations. It's a mashup of surfers. Everybody's got their own section and um, it allows you to do what you're talking about really well, which is watch one surfer and uh, identify, isolate something that they're really good at that. You're like, Oh God, that's a reminder. I need to do that. Mm-hmm. Cut to Dane Godowskis, who's doing very little with his body and his arms His just yeah. positioning is perfect. And you're like, Oh man, I got to do less of everything and just do what Dane's doing, you know? And then it cuts to somebody else and you're like, Oh, that it's really, um, I forgot how much I used to get out of old school surf movies in that regard, you know, because now it's just watching somebody in a long form torn Martin going on a long six month excursion somewhere or something like that. Totally. Yeah, no, I, I mean the parts, like that's why the, the beauty of the surf movie is that you have those parts, you know, and at the end of the day, surfing is such a huge platform for self-expression that you'd expect every single surfer to bring something different to the table. And I think that's kind of like the beauty of surfing is that you just want to like unlock whatever your interpretation is and bring that to the surface. And I think, you know, Dane, like you said, Dane Gooding is like a perfect example in that hi-fi shred edit. He just brings his own whole aesthetic and feel to it, but it's still really high performance. It's just, 
it's different, you know, like he's standing in the middle of a board that's a, probably a little bit, a couple, I would probably guess a couple inches longer than everybody else is riding in the, in the edit. Looks like it's borderline a step up, but he's just moving in this really unique way. And it's kind of like this beautiful blend of like old school seventies lines with like modern hardcore rail surfing. And he's kind of like owning his uniqueness, I think right now. And that and it's really special to see. Like I totally, I'm a huge fan of it. Me too. I'm a bigger fan of his now than ever, actually. Yeah, um, me too. And it's it's funny. I had to keep checking to make sure he was on the high performance thruster. Like he'd he'd get up and riding and he'd pull into the tube and then he comes out and he's doing a turn. And I'd be like, wait, is that the same board? Yeah. And then he like does like a snap at the end of the turn. And I go, oh yeah, there it is, you know. But oh, yeah. you you think that he's riding something lower or you know, like a single fin or something. Yeah. Uh, he's just, he, he took that kind of, you know, standard baseline of the shortboard and then just totally brought his own flavor to it. And it was awesome to watch. That's actually probably my favorite part of the whole movie. I thought was his part, him or Pat's yeah. part. They both really like, they, they both are kind of, you know, they're bringing like their best surfing. And I think it's awesome. Like even Tanner too, like I just hung out with Tanner and I saw some clips of Tanner, like those three, I've just, they found that like kind of constant progression you know arc where it's just it seems like they're not slowing down in their performance if anything like they've kind of freed themselves up to really like get better you know and it's fun to see it's I think seeing people improve at surfing is like the best thing ever well back to that you said um that you work out what do you do what workout what's your regimen um honestly it'll kind of like ebb and flow depending on what's going on because sometimes I'll be on the road for long periods of time and I'll come home and I'll kind of want to start getting back on the program, but I might just be a little run down feeling kind of thing. And um, so I always start whenever I start kind of like my workout sessions or whatever, I just kind of start and I do like a 10 minute meditation where I just check in and really try to see how I feel. And then depending on that, like if I'm, if I'm resting, it'll kind of be more just like movement based, not as much of like hardcore pushing myself to like really sweat and do all that stuff but just kind of keep a lot of joint mobility so i'll do these kind of like longer warm-ups and just kind of like movement patterns that you know kid peligro has really helped me over the years kind of find that like functional movement type exercises and then um so if i'm not kind of like doing that just to like open my hips or whatever like kind of just feel a little bit more loose and limber then i kind of try to do these more like high intensity workouts so it's um, high intensity interval training. It's called like a hit workout. And it's these kind of, you normally set up little like stations and it'll be four or five different exercises and then four or five times through. And so it only takes you like 20 or 25 minutes, but you're going all out for that 20 or 25 minutes and you're gassed by the end of it. And it, I guess you could kind of like compare it to like a boxing workout in a way. So it's like, you're just kind of like high reps, but no rest. And then just like getting your heart rate high for that whole session. And then when you're done, you're done and you can just be gassed and kind of like let yourself lay down for a little bit, you know? So no weight training. When I was younger, I did a lot, like just by the people that I was kind of training with, but kind of decided um, and again, like, this is just for my body type, like everybody's different and everybody kind of probably needs different things. But my brother and I are kind of these like shorter dance nuggety humans, you know, 
And so for me, like when I was doing a bunch of weight training and stuff like that, I just was getting immobile. Like I, my mobility wasn't there and I was getting like really, really strong, but also my weight was getting pretty heavy. Like I put on muscle like that, you know? So it's like for surfing, you just, you need to be strong, but you need to be able to move well. And for me, it just felt like the weight training thing wasn't ideal for my body type. I kind of have to focus more on like to keep things loose and keep things open. than I do need to focus on like getting really strong, but um, you know, then there's like your tall kind of more skinny guys that they totally would benefit from loading some weight up and kind of getting those muscles to fire a little bit more. So it's all just kind of, you know, you kind of just got to listen to it, I guess, and do what you think feels right for you more than anything mm-hmm. else. Also great advice. Um, what was fat boy surf club and, <laughs> uh, and was there a flashpoint of change? Was there some inciting incident that changed embracing that versus everything that you're talking about now? Oh man. Well, yeah. Like my brother and I, I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen any photos of my brother when we were younger, but it was funny. Like I was this kind of like scrawny little kid and my brother was like full little like meatball, you know, he's like a little chunker and yeah, we both like, we've just always loved food since day one. And as we were kind of like going through our teen years and I was riding for Volcom, the staff photographer at the time, his name is Tom Carey. He was just like, you guys are such little fat boys, like whatever, just always calling us fat boys. And then the show came out and they had this, like, I forget what the show is called, but there was this scene called like fat boy surf camp. And he was just mind blowing. He's all, this is you guys. Are you kidding me? And then it just stuck with us for forever. And we definitely like, I mean, it was just just like what we were doing. We were just eating good food all over the world or or whatever at home. And then uh, I think kind of in that phase when I was stopping the WQS and stuff, and I had a lot more time to kind of be home and dictate my own schedule and like kind of build a program and stick to it for a longer period of time instead of just like traveling and trying to get, you know, stay on the program on the road or whatever. It's just traveling and keeping like a fitness regimen and dietary things. It's really hard for me at least. So when I was home for that longer period of time, that was kind of when I was like, Oh, kind of like ready to change my ways a little bit. And it was also kind of in this point where like, I I was, I was like kind of finally committing to the next level of trying to be a professional surfer where, you know, like it just, the level's so high now you just have to put in a little bit more effort you can't just like roll out of bed and go surf anymore you know yeah and um that was kind of like at that stage where I was starting to become a free surfer it was really when I decided to kind of like clean up my act a little bit start exercising more start trying to eat a little bit healthier and then I mean just like anything it ebbs and flows I, I still you know like I'll I'll go eat shitty for a week and you know be blown out or whatever and then kind of get back on the program but I just the the mental side of it all really matters for me like what I'm, if I'm being good and healthy and eating good clean food my thoughts are better they're more clear you know I'm nicer to myself I'm not like down and kind of being like oh you're being unhealthy like what are you doing or whatever it's just the, the thoughts are are like on your side more you know and it kind of helps you bring your level up I think to that extra little maybe like one percent that helps in everything so yeah um the difference is noticeable in your surfing. And I think that's what I mentioned to Brit was the word precision in your surfing, because as you stated earlier, 
you're always good, you're not great. Competitively, you're always adequate and good, but not, you know, at the top level. And I don't remember ever having any criticisms about your surfing, but there was a moment of change where I was like, holy cow, Parker is like, there's a precision to his surfing. And I think that it was noticeable in your physique as well. Like maybe you had gotten stronger or leaner or more nimble or something. Um, but precision was specifically what I noticed, you know, like really precise, fast, sharp, kind of on the attack surfing. Yeah. Well, thank you. I appreciate yeah. that. But yeah. yeah. I think, you know, like to, I guess, answer where that comes from. I think it's just, that's like the time that you put in behind the scenes, you know, like doing all these little things that we were talking about. And then also just watching so much footage and really gaining clarity on what I want to surf like and, you know, precision and kind of like those words that you're using. Like I want to be fast. I want to be precise and I want to look sharp. And those are kind of, you know, like that. It, it's a weird thing, but you almost don't really notice those words in people surfing until you like see it. And then you're kind of like, Oh yeah, well, that's it. You know, like a mm -hmm. Bobby Martinez has those, you know, features in totally. his surfing. Mick Fanning really has those features in his surfing. So I just kind of tried to watch a lot of those people and be like, okay, what is it? You know? And I think for me, I naturally move pretty fast, like my reaction time and stuff. Like I move pretty fast. So I kind of tried to do exercises that would like cultivate that and like bring it out even more so so I do like footwork drills and tons of jump rope and stuff like that and just build on something that I already felt like I naturally have a little bit but then realizing that the mobility was where I needed to kind of up my game and capitalize on like things being able to twist more than I was able to and I think kind of that that once I figured that that was a priority for me it really started to help my surfing a lot and bring out like a, a little bit of a new level that I didn't really know that I had. And now I just like want to keep trying to go down that path, you know, bring more out. Gotcha. Um, I referenced young wise tales earlier. That was a, I mean, so early on in the vlog thing, it might've been the first, I mean, maybe right alongside Dane when he was doing um, Marine layer productions and I'm curious if you and Connor identified that that was going to be a trend and a thing, or if, if, it, uh, yeah, if you identified that. And then secondly, why have you guys abandoned it? Because you were so early on to the trend that you could be kind of owning the category at the moment. So what was your thoughts at the time and why have you abandoned it? Yeah, I mean, we definitely knew that the media was going in that direction i didn't I, I don't think that we knew it was kind of growing to the beast that it's grown into today but we did know like hey look like branding and in your own personal marketing and like watching guys like dane like you said with marine layer it was all of a sudden it was like oh we can just do this on our own kind of thing like you don't need your company that you ride for to be able to like put it all together for you. You don't need to like wait on their calendar or whatever. Like, let's just start doing it. And um, we did kind of like use Dane as a little bit of, I mean, just like how everybody has, we used him as a model, you know, and we're kind of like, okay, well he has a filmer. He surfs on a regular basis with a filmer. And then he kind of like uses it as a platform to express who he is at the time. And um, you know, we were pretty young and we started filming with Ryan Perry and it was just like a really good match. He was kind of like my second older brother and 
was old enough to get his rental cars on the road and stuff like that. So we started working with him and then, yeah, we started making these little web edits and it was kind of just when like surfing magazine and stab and those guys were starting to look for other content to put on their website. And so we were kind of just right place, right time. And we kind of started feeding into that. And then, you know, we did, we did like your standard web edits for a number of years. And then we kind of transitioned into like doing short films and we did a number of short films for and had big premieres and kind of did that. And then as like the true vlogging came to light more, we tried it for a little bit. We did this thing called the weekly tube and it just felt like the market got so saturated by so many so quickly that it didn't feel right for us, I guess. And it kind of took on this own whole like persona of being a vlogger and that's great. You just have to be willing to like own that and and work in that space with that mentality of like producing content in that way. And Connor was also on tour and going to, you know, basically going for a world title, you know, that's the goal. And he was, he finished top four and was just really focused. And then I was kind of off doing a lot of these like road trips and focusing on this snap stuff. And it just kind of, we really kind of separated on, on our, schedules you know and it made it hard for us to kind of like feed young wise tales the content that it needed to get and we still tried for a little while and it's definitely not like done we'll still probably release content through the young wise tales youtube and stuff like that but just kind of wanted to let the true vloggers vlog and like i had these bigger projects that i was holding footage for years you know the snap stuff like i really tried to just make sure that none of my stuff was seen and then connor was doing the tour and think now there's like kind of a, a longing to put more back on that platform and so I wouldn't be surprised if like this next year or two years we really kind of give it like a facelift and like a new fresh feel and start putting out some more content through that channel you're right vlog vlogging has kind of taken on a different meaning I guess like selfie mode diary kind of confessional type things it's not just putting out content regularly there's mm-hmm. kind of that i don't know the selfie mode aspect to it now which it didn't always have so that is a totally different thing that that requires a unique type of human being to be willing to do that share their life on camera that way and also maintenance the type of uh, production schedule that your youtube fans want you know two videos a week yeah. or whatever it is and and that's the thing it felt like the demand to just put content out got so high that maybe the quality started to lack and that was just something that I didn't want to do personally like if I'm going to put something out I want to feel really proud of it you know it shouldn't just go out to hit some algorithm or do something like that so that was kind of like when everybody was putting out like the instant day video or whatever I was like oh cool I'm going to hold my stuff for the next two years and people are like what are you doing that's like why are you doing that but you know, I, I had these things that I was really proud to be a part of and I wanted to give them my full attention. And that was kind of how I did it, you know? Yeah. And that's how John John does it, by the way. Yeah. I mean, Still his first day. Yeah. And he's like, he's, I feel like the, the top, top, top of production in our world, you know, and, and everybody like kind of how I was saying, we use Dane as a model at that time when we were starting, I feel like John's really the one that's like, 
setting the bar for modern content and what that means, you know? Yeah. Um, so that kind of begs me to ask, uh, how are surfers even rated now? I mean, how do you define um, success in a surf career at this point that isn't connected to competitive results? This is a good question. <laughs> I really wonder what it means nowadays. I mean, what is relevance, you know? Totally. I mean, I think here's, I guess, like where I've kind of gone with it is because there's, it's just like so much has changed so fast in our world as far as like, you know, if you go back 10 years ago, it would have been 2012, right? Like magazines were still huge. Surf DVDs were in surf shops. And then that all went away, right? So then there was like this kind of awkward gray area of like, whoa, what is the platform? Like, how is this all going to work? And at the time that those things were kind of dying off, the tour was really the one that was kind of like exploding. And it was kind of like the platform in surfing was the only option was to be on the tour. There wasn't anything else out there for, for the other surfers, you know, outside of that major platform. But, um, and, and then like the industry really had like a lot of changing, I felt like, and obviously like recessions happen and whatever sales, blah, 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 blah. And then all of a sudden it was like the whole industry felt like it flip-flopped on top of each other. And I guess what I mean is like, when I was younger and coming up through the ranks, like your brand that you rode for dictated your career and they dictated your story. They dictated your image. They dictated everything. And so it was really like the brands marketing the athletes. And now I'd say it's like completely flip-flopped where now it's the athletes marketing the brands. So you've kind of had to just like hold on for that like wild ride of kind of trying to like figure everything out. But now it seems like it's clear and to be able to, create like relevance or value in the surf world is what can you offer your brand right and that's like where I guess my thought process between like or behind my career where it goes now is just like hey these guys they they need content they need stuff to be able to feed this psycho content machine and so my point of relevance is just like you can always call me and I'm going to have a hard drive coming your way with footage whether you need it for a marketing campaign you need it for an Instagram post, you need product shot. Like, so I think for me, that's like where I've kind of found my niche is just that I'm like there, I'm accessible. And if you need something, I got it. And that's kind of what I'm trying to do for my sponsors nowadays. So like CI, for example, they'll be like, Hey, Parker, we're coming out with um, like the twin pin or something. Can you go get us some footage for a marketing campaign? And like my relevance is that I can go, yep, sweet. Give me the board. I'll go on a trip. I'll come home with five minutes of footage and you can do with it whatever you please. And that's how they see me as an asset, I guess. Um, but it's not an easy thing to figure out. And I think that's probably why more people go towards the tour route is because the steps are really defined and the schedule's there. So like you're kind of, you're doing things that are like clearly slated in front of you where the free surf thing is you just have to get a little bit more creative and you have to be able to do it a little bit more, you know, on your own, I guess. Yeah. It, it's both. There's never been kind of a more confusing time, but there's also never been a better time totally. to be 
to be a professional free surfer because you really can write your own ticket. There was a point in time where um, it was a total viable, you know, uh, career option, let's say in the 90s through the early 2000s before the recession. Um, it was a totally viable career option. But even then, there was steps that you had to follow in order to do that successfully because mm -hmm. all the media was filtered through three or four magazines. For sure. Now you can kind of own, you can create your own path, but you really have to have a engine and a lot of ambition to do that and a lot of creativity and follow through and all that. Um, I'm curious, what does Rourke expect of you? Is there anything in the contract in terms of number of trips that you have to go on, number of Instagram followers that you have to have, anything like that? Whereas in, in the past, it used to be a certain number of photos in the magazine, maybe a cover shot. What is what does it look like now? What are their expectations? Um, I would say like first and foremost, their expectations are for me to be on those trips that they do because that's how they base their whole marketing campaigns. That's how they just kind of set up the whole brand is off of these major trips that they do. And so that can kind of range anywhere from like, I would want to say like two to six trips a year. And two are for sure like their major campaign shoots you know, like kind of more almost like catalog -y style for, and that's like guaranteed have to be on those, but they've done a really good job about being able to like bring the whole crew, get the campaign stuff, get the catalog stuff, and then being able to like nail these, you know, we, we like, we just did New Zealand, for example, we scored waves, we rode moto, like climbed. And so I, I really need to be a part of those trips. And then they might do like an offshoot, just like, hey, we got the guys together to go on a quick little surf trip for a couple of days. Like, can you go? So I'll do like a couple of random ones like that. But as far as like obligations outside of those trips, it's pretty lenient. Like I have to go make some appearances at store openings or movie premieres and stuff like that. But I feel really lucky because they're kind of just like, hey, man, as long as you do this with us, like you go do your surf stuff, however you want to do it and like have at it. And Good. so- for me, I'm kind of just like, I have my Rourke stuff and then I kind of have like, you know, more of like my core surf stuff that I'm more putting together and I'm like orchestrating trips and trying to get filmers and photographers on. And then that'll kind of like feed my content machine for whatever that's like, if it's the snap stuff, if it's going to a YouTube edit or if it's going to Instagram stuff. And I just did one of those trips this summer to, um, to Indo with Noah Hill and Oscar Langburn. And so it was cool, like put together a rad crew of surfers, go get as much footage and photos of product and stuff that we possibly can. And then we come home and we kind of have this vault of things that we can be able to just trickle out over social media and make sure that we're hitting like consistent, you know, posting to, yeah. to be able to market the brands that we represent. Athleticgreens.com slash surf. I've talked about AG1 being a greens powder, whole food pulverized into a powder uh, on this show all the time, which is entirely true, but it's also probably a disservice to AG1 because it's so much more than that. It additionally has multivitamin, multimineral, pre and probiotics, immunity support, and more. So the idea is that it replaces your standard greens powder, but it also replaces a dozen other supplement bottles, which are probably taking up room in your cabinet or on your bathroom counter. All of which, those capsules are very difficult to digest. 
which brings us to gut health. Grains powders do provide critical phytonutrients, but it's the combination of everything else that I mentioned that's in AG1 that creates the environment for the gut to thrive. So fill the nutritional gaps in your diet, but also promote gut health and find whole body vitality with AG1. Go through our portal at athleticgreens.com surf research all of this stuff for yourself but you'll find out why this product is so universally beloved do it through our portal and you will support our work and you will also get one year free supply of vitamin d3 and k2 plus five free travel packs that is athleticgreens.com surf your foundation for better health delivered to your door monthly with a 60-day money-back guarantee by the way no reason not to try it. Athleticgreens.com slash surf. Enjoy. Hiring for a small business is critical. It's imperative that you find a highly qualified professional to treat and grow your business with the same care and detail that you do. LinkedIn Jobs will be your next big unlock. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team fast and for free. Everybody is already on LinkedIn with their resume and their references. So the fact that LinkedIn built a hiring platform to connect the dots between everything is simple genius. It's way more sophisticated than a job board. It's a vast network of more than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set, desire, ambition, all in an effort to help us advance our position. And it's easy to use and intuitive. So effective that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Fast hiring solutions means achieving your goals in record time with rapid growth in 2024. LinkedIn Jobs will even help you write the job descriptions and give you tools and prompts to help you interview your candidate like a pro. LinkedIn.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. And you can let the world's largest social network of business professionals work to connect you with the ideal candidate to help you grow your business. That is LinkedIn.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. In regard to metrics for kind of how to measure your surf career success, how important has STAB become in your estimation? I would say like, I mean, kind of what I was talking about beforehand, how like the tour was really like the marquee platform. And then there wasn't really another one in sight next to that. STAB has really come up and they've been that secondary platform and it's pretty opposing to the WSL, I'd say. Like they're trying to do it I don't want to say like the opposite way, but they're trying to do it in a different way to capture like a different type of viewer or a, a different need within the surf world, let's call it. And, you know, they're doing a great job. They, they're really creative and they're, they're, you know, they're trying to kind of break the mold on like what has been a success and turn things on a new trajectory and think like what can be successful. And they're doing great events. They're doing great features and, um, I'd say right now they're probably like the main, you know, surf media outlet in the world by, yeah. by far, I guess, you know, they've so. really, they've really, um, kind of stretched 
into the space that I feel like they were already occupying, you know, like they were kind of already positioned that way when they were printing magazines. And since they've stopped printing, they've really focused more on tent pole video pieces. And they've introduced me to a lot of surfers who I didn't know about, like Mateus Hurdy, let's say in the past year, um, Aaron Brooks, you know, Katie mm-hmm. Simmers, where uh, those are now surfers that I'm like tracking their entire career, but Stab was the one who identified them for me. So I wonder, the reason why I ask about what their relevance is, is, um, you know, Matt Miola, he won Stab High in Costa Rica, right? Yeah. That you were on? Yeah. I don't think that really affected his career. Like, I don't think that his career is any different from winning that, but there are a bunch of people who participated in that who I now have an awareness of. So I'm not sure where the um, relevancy for someone's career really lands, but I think they are doing great work. And I think that they are certainly introducing careers. Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting thing to think about for sure, but like you said, I, I think that those guys are really in a position to where their fingers on the pulse and they're all avid surfers. You know, they all surf on a regular basis. They're all fans of the surf industry and the surf world. So they're just in it. And by just being in it, they are seeing these new generation of kids popping up and they're being able to pluck like, oh, this person has something special. Let's do stuff with them. Or like, yeah, oh, this person seems like they're great and easy to be around and you know, talented, like, why don't we give him a shot at this kind of platform? Like what you're saying, they're being really inclusive instead of exclusive. And I think overall, that's a beautiful thing in our world because it's getting people to, you know, have new fans and followers and whatever. And, you know, the surfers need it, but so do the viewers. So it's a kind of a, it's a good, you know, blend of what they're doing for surfers and then the viewers. How was your experience uh, at Stab High? I thought it was pretty insane. (laughs) I had a lot of fun, you know, and for me, it's interesting because I wouldn't probably classify myself as like, just like an aerialist. Um, I can, I can do airs and like, I'll do a big one every once in a while, but for me to like be just a part of the free surf and around like the energy that these guys were bringing to every single session and every single section that they were hitting was pretty inspiring. And, um, I think that's probably the one thing that I miss most about not competing is being around like the highest of caliber of surfing and stab high was a pretty awesome environment. And it was really encouraging, which was pretty refreshing. Like if you went and did something, people were pumped for you when you came in, you know, it was just like a really good vibe, but in like, I guess like a progressive environment, which I yeah. thought was really, really fun to be a part of. Yeah, that came through in the video edits. It seemed like great Mm -hmm. energy. Yeah, just camaraderie, you know, it's good. Like anytime you get a bunch of like-minded surfers in one place and feed them beer and fun waves, it'll it'll be pretty fun. You know, everybody's going to walk away having a pretty good time. Yeah, it it, um, is competitive still, you know, but it's also everybody celebrating their own competitors rather than hoping that they eat it. Yeah. And I think that it really like, it shifts the competitiveness in a way from like, it's, it's really like internal at that point, you know, like you're Mm. mainly just being competitive with yourself. And I think like for me, I'm a really competitive person, but it's mostly with myself. 
it's gotcha. not as much like you know i'm gonna be better than you or i'm gonna beat you or, or i don't know it's more just like hey like i'm here for two weeks i got a window to try to do some huge errors like i want to stop some huge errors and i know i can so it's gonna try to do it you know right yeah um so yeah it was good yeah it's it's interesting it's a lot more um aligned with surfing and the mm-hmm. ethos of surfing than other competitive surfing is where it's cutthroat you know yeah and i think both can exist. That's the beauty of it. You know, there doesn't have to be just be one or, or just the other. It's like, there can be different platforms for different people to kind of gravitate towards. And I'm happy that I'm growing up in this generation where it's kind of like the new, you know, like stuff's kind of getting figured out. And I feel like this generation kind of following us will hopefully have multiple different avenues that they can explore within the world of professional surfing and find what, you know, what fits with them and then go at it a hundred percent and hopefully have a surf career because at the end of the day, it's like, you know, it's, it's not going to last forever, but what we get to do is an incredible journey. And I hope like more kids get to just experience it and live life and have fun and mostly just have something that they can be passionate about and just like get into it, you know, because I feel like today's day and age, as long as you have something that you can be really passionate about and there's like a roadmap to potentially make it a job, then it's pretty epic. Yeah, for sure. Um, I would love to get your thoughts on Connor's quick ascent and then equally as quick kind of descent on the CT. In 2019, he was ranked 20th. And then the next year of competition was 2021 after COVID. And he finished fourth in the world. Then this past year, he failed to make the mid-year cut. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts on what do you attribute that success to the fourth place finish? And then also, what do you attribute the recent hiccup to? So I don't know how well you know my brother, but he's really smart. Like has, has always been really, really smart. And he kind of has one of those special brains that is able to like really focus. And so I felt like when he got on the tour the first year, you said he, he finished 20th. Right. Well, he finished 20th in ni- uh, 2019. Was that his first year? I think that was his first year. Yeah. Okay. So I think that first year he was, he was like, oh, whoa, like I, I qualified, you know, and it was kind of like thinking he was maybe just so happy to be there that he probably didn't quite like reassess and really like believe in himself. Like, oh yeah, like I'm a top 10 surfer. You know, he was kind of more just like dipping his toe in and, and just seeing how it felt to be there. And then throughout the year he kind of figured it out and he ended up getting in the finals in Portugal I'm pretty sure and that was what kind of brought him back into real qualification position um and then whatever the year that he did really well um when he finished fourth we were sitting like before the season started we were sitting at his house kind of just hanging talking whatever and and we kind of started talking about the year and I could tell just by the way he was talking about like the next kind of coming months, he was like pretty engaged and pretty focused and pretty committed. And he was doing everything he possibly could to hold this like really high intensity focus at all times, what he needed to do to just be like firing on all cylinders. And when you commit so heavily like that, and you're also one of those people that's just naturally able to focus on things it's just like the best recipe ever, you know, and 
he was just dude he was so in rhythm and that was kind of like when you do all those back things too it's just kind of you have this like overflowing confidence that you're doing everything you possibly can and in those dying minutes of the heat when you need a a 6.5 with 30 seconds left those thoughts of just knowing like oh if wave comes i'm gonna get the score you know he was so mentally in tune that that was the story he was telling himself heat after heat. It was just like, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I could do it. There's 10 seconds left and I need an eight minor wave comes. I'm going to get it. And he was just on, you know, and the beauty of kind of how the tour is set up. Like if you get those successes earlier on in the year and you kind of know that you're in a requalification position already, then you're actually kind of showing up to events a little bit freed up instead of just being like, oh my God, I kind of have to hold my place on tour. So as the year went on and he kind of ended up getting into more of a relaxed kind of flowing state of like, oh, cool, I'm going to be on tour next year. Like maybe I can make the top 10. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh shit, I'm in the top five, like going into trestles, you know, I got a shot at a world title. And and I, I felt like a lot of people were kind of like writing him off going into trestles because he doesn't do airs. But like I was down there for the days leading up to the event and like he was ripping so hard. Like he was in world title contention and world title form 100% going into that final day, you know, and Philippe, he actually had Philippe on the ropes and Philippe got him in the last minute. But I felt like, you know, he was right there and he was just all that commitment throughout the year kind of like fed into that final top five. And then once he finished fourth and then the next kind of coming year, I, I think just naturally, you know, when the clock resets and you have to start all the way from zero again in the new year with new events and new placings, new point totals, it's just a lot, you know? And I think he had that going on. And then he also was like the surfers rep and they were introducing all these mid-year cuts and all this stuff. So he was probably focused on the back end, talking to the WSL about how they were structuring the tour a little bit more than he would have liked and it probably removed him mentally more than he would have liked so he just might not have had that full commitment mentally to being like right then there trying to do his best competitive surfing so but that's just how surfing goes you know you're hot one minute and then you're not and then you can find yourself back on tour and hot again going for a world title again so it's just how it goes um is he disillusioned at all by competitive surfing because of not requalifying or is he um, gung ho to kind of get back on? Um, you know, it's hard to speak for him. I think like when we've been hanging out, we've kind of just been enjoying hanging out and not even really like talking about it so much kind of thing. We're just happy to, you know, go surf together and just laugh and have fun. I think he showed up at snapper and he got a fifth. So he's known this whole time, like, Oh yeah. If you know, I can get results but the QS is hard. And like you go to these events and the waves are tricky and it's not like he's really done a bad job at any of the events, but he's just lost kind of. And I think he's got Brazil and then Haleiwa, right? Those are the last two events. And I would expect, you know, I, I just kind of can tell now, like he's pretty engaged and he's pretty switched on coming into the back, you know, those last two events. And they're actually both events he could do really well in. So I think right now he's feeling pretty gung-ho. And I think if he got back on tour, he'd be able to click back into that pretty heavily focused mentality. And if he didn't, he could just have a little bit of time to kind of reassess and see what he wants to do moving forward. But I haven't really talked to him a whole lot about it, to be completely honest. I've kind of just been 
brotherly support. Like, Hey, if you want to talk about it, I'm here. If you don't want to talk about it and you want to talk about fishing, whatever, like I'm here too, you know, or we can revamp young wise tales. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's what <laughs> That's I was option three. I'm like, I selfishly, I'm like, well, if you're not on tour, you know, we could probably do some more surf trips together. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah. Um, were you disappointed to not receive an invite to the Vans Pipe Masters this year, considering that you were the winning team at the Dahui Backdoor Shootout? Oh man, like if I, I mean, if if I got invited, I would be like the most excited person ever. But there's so many talented pipeline surfers in the world, and there's so many of them from Hawaii that aren't in the event, you know. And I think um, for me. I'm like totally okay to not be in the contest and just be a spectator and watch it all unfold. And I mean, any chance you'd ever get to surf pipeline with no one out is the dream as a surfer. So I wish I could participate in that sense. But um, I think that there's a long list of people that would probably deserve to be in that thing ahead of me. Um, So I'm not too bummed, (laughs) I guess, to answer your question. It's rad. It's a rad event. I'm thrilled to see. Um, I agree with you. There's a ton of names that aren't. Is Benji Brand, was he invited? I'm not sure, but like I, I saw, like, you know, Josh Moniz is like one of the most winning pipeline surfers of my generation for sure. And like, he's not in. I mean, yeah, Benji yeah. Brand's not in. I, I don't think um, the McNamara brothers are in. Like the, the, the longest list of people that could be in the event that yeah. aren't in the event. So Anytime you put a limit to only 40 surfers, it's really hard to come out like, you know, looking like you're not going to get everybody, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And it's kind of a hard one and you're definitely going to piss people off and and hurt feelings, I guess, by just having an invite only event. But I think Vans did a really good job. Like when I look at the list, I think there's like a lot of surfers in that, that I would love to watch surf pipeline. And there's also a lot of surfers that I would love to see pipeline that aren't on that list. So, yeah. And you'll still see them at pipeline this year, just not in a contest. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I agree with you and I'm excited to see another event at pipe essentially. And I'm glad to see them kind of shake up the format and, you know, have all these invitees that we don't normally get to see compete at pipe. So I'm excited for the event. I think it's cool. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. And it's an exciting new format. And I think that's kind of what our world needs. You know, it needs a little bit of new and fresh and, um, you know, just kind of see where you can improve. And the only way to do that is by trying to do something different. And yeah. so kudos to Vans for, I guess, taking the step outside the box and going for it. Cause I think it's going to be really exciting as a surf fan. For sure. Without the limitations of all the bureaucratic red tape of running an entire tour around the world, just being able to kind of focus on one venue and build an event for that, I think opens up a lot of opportunity for them. Um, when I, had that last podcast conversation with Britt Merrick. One of the things he said in response to me uh, talking about your surfing was that you are among the most astute surfers that he's ever worked with in regard to providing feedback about board design. Um, So can you tell me about that? What is your interest in board design? How dialed in are you? And what is that relationship like with Britt? Yeah, I mean, I guess... I should, yeah, I don't know. I kind of have just grown up in the Channel Islands factory, to be honest. And I felt like I was just, I was really lucky to be able to live so close to the factory. And um, 
I would just go hang out there when, you know, whenever I could, because I just enjoyed being surrounded by my kind of people that just like surfing. And um, I was just kind of always learning whenever I was in there, you know, like it, whether it be talking to a shape or a glass or, you know, like the guy that sets the fins, like there's just so much cool information as a surfer that you can pick up on in that one building that I just kind of found myself there all the time. And, um, you know, that it's, it's interesting because there's a lot of pro surfers that don't know anything about their boards. Right. Sometimes even the best surfers in the world, like they don't really know anything about their boards, but I felt like for me, it would kind of just add like a little bit of extra confidence, kind of knowing what was happening with my boards or how to make them better or whatever. So it kind of just, from a pretty young age, I had a pretty direct dialogue with the people that were making my boards. And that just has slowly kind of evolved and built over the years. And, you know, if I ever got boards from other guys and like experienced kind of how other shapers interpret design or whatever, like I just, I really like it. I think it's really fun. And it's basically art, you know, at the end of the day, it's like you're creating this amazing sculpture that you can then go ride waves on. Yeah. And everybody does them different, even though it's the same, you know, surfboard, they're all different. Everybody's eye and, you know, kind of touchy final touches are all different. And so when Brit started making my boards, I was in a position where I was just like super excited to try to get better and try to get my boards better. And I really wanted to just like elevate my whole deal. And Brit was in a really similar position where he was kind of getting really into shaping, but he just like he wanted to get better he he didn't we both didn't really know how we were going to get better but like we were just committed like okay cool dude we're going to get better and then we just kind of started getting better together and it was almost like we would feed off of each other as far as like board design went you know like all of a sudden it'd be like 11 30 at night and Brit's like texting me about rockers just because he's like so excited he thinks he had a breakthrough on like a rocker idea you know and um we just have a lot of fun and we enjoy it. And, you know, by, by kind of being in there and in close proximity, it's really easy for him to be like, Hey dude, I got something that I want you to try. And then I could go ride it, film, take some notes on the footage and then like show back up at the factory two days later with like clips and notes and we could go over it together. And it was just like, before I knew it, we were like making major progress quickly. And we just kind of like rode that, you know, that, that like wave of just ambition to try to get better together. And like, we're still kind of riding it, you know, and that was the board that we ended up designing was the CI Pro. And so now it's kind of cool to be able to like release that and high five and be like, dude, we, we did it. You know, like what we kind of accomplished what we went out to try to do was make a really good high performance shortboard. So, um, and, yeah, I love and, it. and it's kind of cool to see so many other icons on the team writing it. See, I trip out. See Dean, see Bobby, see the Goudangs, everybody's on that thing. Yeah. And that's the best part about Channel Islands is like the people that are involved, you know, it's like, I, I don't know. It's just, it's such a diverse group of amazing surfers that stretches the whole world. And to be able to kind of work with Brit on this design and like have it work good for me was like really special and made me feel great. But like, to be able to then go put it in someone else under someone else's arms and someone else's feet and watch them like excel and feel like they're getting better at surfing of riding a board that we designed. It was like, it just felt so good. It was like the, it was like the biggest win I've ever had, but it was like, 
it wasn't just for me. It was like for other people too, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, So it was really fulfilling. Um, tell me about the board itself and the board design, if you don't mind for listeners. Yeah, well, uh, we just wanted to make a board that we felt like could just elevate their surfing, you know? And so it has a pretty rockery rocker template and it's super continuous. So there's kind of like constant curve going through the whole thing. Um, with a somewhat of a flatter tail rocker though it kind of tapers off and it doesn't go like super drastic flip off the end so it's still really drivey but you can kind of maneuver really close to the pocket and in tight steep spaces um, with all the curve and then it's kind of got like a pretty down tapered rail on it and it has quite a bit of tuck so the idea behind that was that when you were going to go roll over from rail to rail, that the board had like a shape on the underside of the rail that would kind of like roll into the face of the wave really easy and engage pretty effortlessly. And then the final component was the fin placement. And that was like, we kind of got a little lost on the fin placement for a little while, just because there's so many options, but we ended up in a position that we felt like added a lot of drive and kind of, I guess, like speed to the board with still maintaining like that loose, easy transition feel. And, you know, I'm really proud of how it turned out. And I feel like I'm getting the best boards that I've gotten from Channel Islands. And um, I'm, I'm seeing guys doing incredible surfing all over the world on it. So I feel like it's kind of right now it's moved into that, like, okay, this is kind of, if you want to get a, just a good high performance shortboard and try to rip, this is a board. Yeah. It's funny, um, the talk and the, I don't know, the conversation in the last couple of years is deviated away from high-performance shortboards and everybody's more comfortable riding everything. Mm -hmm. And even Channel Islands has put out a lot of successful from the mid-length model to the um, free scrubber and the twin pin and whatever. Those have all been trends, but recently, but CI's always done those, you know, like they've had a mid-length for 20 or 30 years. It's not a new trend for them. Um, it's a trend in the marketplace that they're benefiting from and they've designed a new board that kind of supplies that trend. But equally, they've always made the pointy high-performance thruster as well. And uh, it just hasn't been a part of the public conversation. And I feel like they have fewer team riders on tour now than ever before. But still, look at what Joao Chianca is doing on the boards. And I think Jackson Baker is on the team too. There are still examples of the pointy thruster being ridden to great success on tour, you know? Totally. And I think, you know, with the, like, I, I, whatever you want to call them, alternative boards, like, you know, the twin pins or the bobby quads or fish beards, those are actually performance enhancing in the right conditions. And so there's a time and a place that you could bring those boards out and unlock new parts of your surfing that will let you do things that you can't do on a regular thruster. However, there's the regular thruster with, you know, rocker or whatever, that's going to allow you to really kind of take lines that you can't take on those alternative boards when the waves are well suited for that type of board. So it's kind of just like game that you're always kind of constantly playing with like trying to pick the board that is going to bring the most out of your surfing. and I think people enjoy like just, you know, something kind of different and fun and skatey when the waves are small. So it's been great for the market to have like other options than just that high performance shortboard. But the ethos of Channel Islands has always been high performance surfing 
and like working with the best surfers is how we're going to create the best boards, I guess, you know? And even though there's not a guy on the team that's like in a world title position at this very moment, feel like guys around the world and like good high profile surfers are picking up the boards and seeing the surfing going on the boards and being like, Oh yeah, Merrick's are looking good, you know? So as long as that's kind of like the rep and I guess the people still see that in the boards that's all that matters you know yeah not to say that I don't think one of those guys on the team can make a major jump and be like in that conversation or, or winning events or something like that like Jiao Chianka's a freak man like that guy he gets back on tour like he's deadly totally. and I wouldn't be surprised if you see him in the top 10 or top five within the coming years you know because he totally. has that singular minded focus to just be a competitive machine and he charges, he can do airs, he's got an amazing rail game. So I think looking at the team right now, he's someone that we're all really excited to get back on tour and kind of just see him do his thing on the boards. Um, were you involved in the buyback from Burton? Yes, I was. And it's been, it's been awesome. Yeah, like just the whole, I don't know. It's like when you walk into the building, it's just different now you know yeah it's just the people that are there are there because they want to be there and decisions are being made within that one building it doesn't have to go to some higher up to get approved or denied or whatever it's just like oh this is what we want to do we're doing it and yeah I think uh just the surf industry you know it's like maybe surfers aren't like the best businessmen sometimes but at the end of the day like they know our world and they know just the landscape of the surf industry and what's cool and what's not. And so it feels good to be like in a position where we have say, and no one's there to kind of like change our mindset. You know, it's just like, we want to do what we want to do. And that's what we're going to do, I guess. Yeah. Well, you're in control of your own destiny, you know, Yeah. kind of like we were talking about earlier about uh, being a free surfer. Now you're not beholden to a company anymore. You can kind of pick your own path and design it. And this feels the same way, but it's such a great story um, for all the surf world. I think when that news broke, everybody was happy. Everybody celebrated the news. Even those of us who aren't benefiting from it or involved in it, we're still celebrating the news because uh, it's a family brand and it's great to see. And I mean, even the Burton involvement was a great story at the time too, because you want to see... small family brands be elevated with mm-hmm. capital and exposure and distribution networks and all that sort of stuff that Burton was able to bring. So I think that was a great fit at the time, but more recently, it's also a great story to have the buyback and have complete control of the company. So good on you for being involved in that. Yeah. Thank you. It's, I feel really lucky to be a part of it and, yeah, you know, just to, to be involved with a brand like that as a team rider, but now as like an owner, it's just, it's special. And every time I walk through the building, I kind of, am just like, wow, that happened, you know, and it's happening, I guess. And, um, I just, I feel really confident that like the people that are in there are just good people and they, they want the best for the brand and they want the best for the surf world. And I think that's kind of what we need. We need more surfers at the helm in our industry, again, kind of, making those decisions to make sure that it, it can stay, you know, true to its roots and, and just keep being a great thing instead of just some like dollar sign in someone's eyes, you know? Totally. And so many of those people in that factory have been there for two decades. Yeah. 
it's crazy. Like you, you stop and you, yeah, you hear some of the employee stories, how long they've been there. It's impressive. And it's special though. And that's why like when you ride for a brand like that, it has a deeper meaning to it. You know, you're a part of a lot at that point, you know, people yeah. have been around and done a lot for the brand and seen a lot of the surf industry and they just have this, you know, kind of wisdom of, of the surf world. And, and it's great to be around and good to have people like that close by for sure. Um, I'm curious what your travel for this next year looks like. Do you have anything on the books? Um, yeah, so I, I definitely have like a couple of places that I'm pretty excited to try to film uh, for some upcoming film projects and stuff. I'm going to Japan here in, in a couple of weeks with Rorg to go do like one of their bigger kind of campaign trips. That'll be really fun. And then I'm going to try to be home in California a little bit more through the winter, just because these last few years I've been actually for a long time now, I've kind of just been posted up in Hawaii and doing that. Um, but I kind of have some things that I kind of want to stay close to home for, for a little bit. And then I'll probably try to hit Hawaii a little bit more later in the year. Um, just cause I can, I don't have to like follow the contest schedule as much. And so I can kind of pick and choose when I can go over there, but, um, I really want to get back over to Australia. I think for me, that's like pretty high on the list of places to go just because surfing's such a great thing there. It's, it's like seen as just you know it's just it's like a the country sport I guess you know and there's a lot of resources and, and good people to kind of be around over there to surf with and um, ultimately I feel like that trip is a way to get better um, and so I'm excited to go to Oz and kind of do that whole deal and just try to surf with good surfers film you know work on some boards with the CI Australia guys and just kind of put some time in over there because since COVID happened, it hasn't, I haven't gone, but I miss it a lot. Yeah. So in terms of the strategy for managing your own career on each of those trips, do you bring a filmer with you? Do you bring a photographer with you? How do the logistics work for that? Yeah. So most of the trips I go on, I try to, normally I try to work with one other surfer just so I can split the cost a little bit, you know, and that kind of goes from top down, like cost of place that you're staying you know your your rental house or whatever the filmer food gas whatever it is like I always kind of like to have one other surfer um and then for sure a filmer just so you know now video is so it's just like kind of everything revolves around video it's it's weird how now it's a little bit less photo a little bit more video um and then I can just I, I can watch the footage and get you know super into watching surf technique stuff and take notes and try to get better off the footage. So that's definitely the main priority is to have a good filmer kind of at all times on all the trips. Gotcha. Um, probably goes without needing to be said, but during this last run of swell, what was the last surfboard that you rode? <laughs> the last board that I rode was a five, nine, 18, three quarters, two and three eighths CI pro with a slightly different fin setting, which I like. Oh, really? Yeah. We're still going back and forth on the fin thing a little bit, just to try to maximize it, you know? Like, I, cause I feel like the fin, the fin thing is there's just so many options. It's hard to really just like pick one. So we're still just kind of messing around with the fins, but this last one was pretty good. So might stay around. And you're talking about the fin placement, not the fin itself. Yeah, that's so fin placement yeah because for me i i already get kind of like lost with all the the board design features 
and if I have like another set of fins to throw into the mix, then I'll just like really get lost. So I pretty much use one fin template. And even I actually try to use one set of fins. So like, even if it's the same template, but a different set, like if I find a set that I really like, I'll just keep using the same set so I could really tell the difference in the board. And then every once in a while, I'll sprinkle in like a different fin just to like make it feel different and fun, I guess. But yeah, yeah mostly just like the actual placement where the guys, you know, routing out the fin boxes and putting them in and the angles that they're set at and stuff like that. Gotcha. Um, is that board already on retail shelves? I think, yeah, it's, I'm pretty sure it actually, I think it just launched like a week ago or something like that. Yeah. I saw the video officially launched a week ago. So I presumed the board was out there in shops, but I wasn't exactly sure. Yeah, no, I think it's out there now, which is cool because I can go pick up one in a surf shop if I need to. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you taking this time. Um, it's been great officially connecting with you. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It's super cool to, um, to be featured. Like I said, I listen to it all the time, so I'll be cringing listening to my own voice, but <laughs> <laughs> honored to be a part of it. It took me years to get comfortable with that one part of it. Gosh, what's up with that? Everybody feels the same, though, so at least it's universal. <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah. All right, right on. Well, thanks so much, Parker. Cool, yeah, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Thank you, Parker Coffin. I, of course, have linked to his social media as well as um, everything that we discussed in this show, the new CI Pro video that just came out, 20-minute surf edit with all their team athletes riding that board, um, everything that we discussed on surfsplendorpodcast.com. You can also link to our sponsors, by the way, waterwaystravel.com, realwatersports.com, athleticgreens.com slash surf, linkedin.com slash surf, many more. We have a sponsors link on our website. You can navigate to it from the menu bar at the top and you can find our promo codes and discounts available with the various brands that we work with. So go do that. We have of course a subscription platform set up and uh, we'll be giving away a new surfboard next month. So look forward to hearing more on that shortly next week in fact. And in the meantime we have new episodes of Spit that released on Tuesday of this week and a new episode of The Grit coming your way on Friday and much more to come next month. A couple of big announcements actually headed your way for the next month. But as always, we will be back here next week on Surf Splendor with an all new episode. So thanks so much for listening. Thank you, Parker Coffin. My name is David Scales for Surf Splendor. And until we see you again, I am encouraging you always to get back into the ocean, share a couple of waves, and of course, shred on. Can't taste the sea.
And don't forget to post your job for free at linkedin.com slash surf. That's linkedin.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply.